When I was a kid in grammar school, I remember hearing for the first time the word hyperbole. And it was, that was a 50-cent word that was good, hyperbole. Uh, and the concept was wonderful. The word simply means um, a gross exaggeration to make a point. So this is what some parents do when their kids are eating all the Halloween candy, bags of it, trying to eat it all in two days. You know, they keep putting it in, and they see the dentist bill going up, you know, as they know the cavities are coming. So they say, if you eat one more piece of candy, I tell you, every tooth in your head is going to fall out. Hyperbole. It's ridiculous. And the kids know it. They know all, the, all their teeth aren't going to fall out. But sometimes hyperbole just makes a point so beautifully and so powerfully that it gets us to do some thinking. And I think Jesus was an expert in hyperbole. Today's a perfect example. He doesn't really mean, unless you hate your mother and father, hate your wife, hate your children, and hate yourself, you, can follow, you cannot follow me and be my disciple unless you hate all those people. That's not what he's saying, but he says it. So what's he trying to say or do? Well, I think in a simple word, we could say he's trying to transform us completely and transform the way we look at possessions, transform the way we use possessions, transform everything about our relationship with persons, with things, everything. And I think he's saying that first, always first, must come himself, Jesus, and the gospel. And if we don't look at even our possessions and all our relationships through that, that look at Jesus and the gospel first, we probably will end up misusing them. Now, we have two readings that set us up beautifully for the gospel. The first one begins with a line, can anyone counsel God? Really, can, can anyone in the whole universe tell God something that God doesn't know or, or guide God along better ways? It's ridiculous. We know that. God knows everything. In fact, even when we pray, do you think we're informing God of something that he doesn't know? God, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but I'm sick. Would you help heal me, help me? God, I, I can't pay my rent this month. Can you help me find some money? And so God says, oh, thanks for telling me. Thanks for reminding me. I don't think so. But it's still important to put into words our needs, our hungers and thirsts. Because if we don't even know what they are, how can we even begin to try to find a way to solve them? It's like those two examples Jesus gives. Who builds a tower without enough money? Everyone's going to laugh at us when we can't pay and finish the tower. Or who goes in a you know, battle with 10,000 troops when your enemy has 20,000? Uh, you better try and make peace. And so we really need to look at everything with, with some real knowledge real awareness. And so we tell it to God, not so that God gets it, but so that we get it. In fact, I, I really believe that, that uh, part of the trouble uh, in people's prayers is they, they don't realize that formulating prayers is what helps us name our, our needs, name our hungers and thirsts. In fact, the church asks us to fast for an hour. I think it's ridiculous. And if anybody says, well, well, I haven't, I haven't, uh, I just ate before I left, don't go to communion, please. It, well, it's a dumb rule now. But when it was three hours, it made more sense. Because at least with three hours, you had the potential to feel a little hunger and thirst. But I'll tell you when it was really real. Not to me ever, but to my parents, grandparents, and everybody before that. 
When, how long did you have to fast? Say, uh, 60 years ago. Maybe 70, maybe 80. From midnight. From anybody here uh, alive at that time? When you, okay. From midnight, nothing to eat and nothing to drink. So if you stopped eating, if you ate until 11.59 and had your last uh, drink of soda, whatever, at 11.59 p.m., and that's it. And what if you go to the noon mass? Oh, my God. That's 12 hours without food or drink. So what would you be acutely aware of at 11.59 in the morning when you're going to mass? How hungry and thirsty you are. And if you are aware of it physically, then maybe you can also reach into the spiritual hungers and thirsts. And that's what's important when we come to God, that we are aware of what we need, what we want, of what we're searching for. Three hours, I don't know if that does it, but one hour certainly doesn't. So it makes it harder for us, I think, to come to Mass and to walk into church aware, aware of the deepest hungers and thirsts of our soul. And that's why we come to God, I think. And so Jesus, using these scriptures and, and even this uh, second reading, Paul's in prison. Probably his only comfort is Onesimus. He says he, his son, that he has discovered a son in his ministry. It's not, I don't think, his literal physical uh, son. But he even gives his son away to the people that he's writing this letter to. He even empties himself of this relationship. And he's not afraid of inner poverty, of losing every possession, because he has Christ. That's enough. So Christ says, you need to be transformed. You need to be transformed. The liturgy started with a question. Do you own your possessions or do your possessions own you uh, and me? Uh, it's a good question. I noticed yesterday I was watching a little YouTube where I, I get most of my information about life, recipes, everything on there. And um, I noticed a clip, and it showed uh, some of the fires up north. And I also noticed in the corner how long this clip was. It was only a minute and 30 sec 36 seconds. And I said, oh, I can afford that amount of time. So I clicked on it, opened it up. Not a single word, just pictures. All they did was pan with the camera the fire zones where homes were gone, where only a chimney was standing, where a truck was burned up completely, all the tires gone, everything. It just burnt into a... a terrible piece of metal. And for now, for one minute and 36 seconds, they showed complete devastation, total loss. And I thought to myself, wow, wow, what's it like to experience that? Not just your home, but you look around and your whole neighborhood gone. What's it like to lose every possession you have? Oh yeah, you have maybe some money in the bank, thanks be to God, but but all your personal possessions, women, all their jewelry, all their photos, um, their, their family Bible that's been in the family for 150 years. I mean, what's it like to lose everything? And then every once in a while, it wasn't in this one, but every once in a while you'll see somebody standing there saying, but you know, I can get many of those things back. I have my life. Thank you, God. 
Now, this is a person transformed by the gospel in Jesus Christ who recognizes what's really important, what's most important, and realizing that possessions, yes, we like them, we love them, we enjoy them, we use them, um, they mean something to us, they touch our hearts, but they're not essential. And quite frankly, there's very, very little that we need. There's a lot that we want. We need oxygen. We don't do anything to make that happen. In fact, we do everything we can to destroy the source of it, all the trees and things that are out there giving us life, and we use it up just to build more homes. When, are there any other things we could use to build homes? But we eat up the very things that give us oxygen, that give us life. Our water, do we take care of it? Really? And yet, that's what we need. I hope everybody's drinking extra today because we need it today. But boy, do we really appreciate the things we really, really need? But what about the things that we don't, but maybe they possess us more than we possess them? All it takes is a good fire, a good earthquake, something to wipe it all out, and then we have to ask ourselves what was and is really important to us. And so Jesus is trying, I think, today with a lot of hyperbole to shock us into asking the questions. And I don't think he's saying you must live with less, you must give everything away, you, you must hate everybody in your life. I think he's saying, actually, you should appreciate everything you have. Use it well, share it, and love deeply. But do it through the eyes of people of gospel and of faith in Jesus Christ. Because when we really get this, our faith in Jesus Christ, and really get the gospel, it should transform us in a way so that not only do we not necessarily give everything away, but that we use it and share it with others. Maybe it isn't about using or having less time with our mom and dad and our brothers and sisters, but giving more time perhaps, because we really, really do appreciate. Jesus is inviting us, inviting us to consider something not new, but deeper, more profound. And in so doing, perhaps we might actually experience some kind of transformation in our faith and in our life.